I'm Megan King. And I'm Sydney Bordignaw, and this is The Curve. Welcome to The Curve, a Canadian-born podcast series following the latest on the COVID-19 crisis. Each episode, will look at the indirect effects that this pandemic has had on Canada and the world. Due to social distancing regulations during the pandemic, all interviews have been recorded via Zoom or phone call. This may affect the audio quality of certain interviews. We believe that this accurately reflects the daily challenges of working from home that many Canadians are facing during this time. On this episode of The Curve, we're talking tourism, economy, and local businesses that are being impacted by the pandemic. Since the pandemic began, many businesses have moved to working from home. Air travel and border crossings have been shut down to prevent further spread of the virus, leaving companies that rely on international business vulnerable. To stay active, some businesses have been interacting with customers online, providing curbside pickup and adapting to this new way of life. We are releasing this episode on Friday, June 12, 2020, the same day that the Ontario government is set to initiate their plans for Stage 2 of reopening the province. While the City of Toronto and most of the surrounding GTA and GTHA are not yet deemed safe enough to reopen further at this point, Premier Ford's regional approach to reopening will see many communities restarting businesses with safety precautions in place. The provincial government will be providing weekly updates of their ongoing assessments of the Toronto and surrounding areas to properly determine when it will be safe to phase everyone in Ontario into stage two. As it may still be some time until Toronto businesses can reopen their doors, we spoke with Roseanne Longo, former vice president of International Leisure Trade Sales for Toronto Tourism, about what effect the pandemic will have on the tourism market in the long run. Hi, Roseanne. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, Megan. Glad to be with you. In your expert opinion, how do you think this lockdown will affect local tourism? Well, I think it's going to have a very, very significant impact on tourism. I mean, we're we're in a situation right now where people are not traveling, borders are closed, planes have been grounded, and the virus is essentially in, in every country around the world. So in terms of trying to generate business from one country or another country to try and make up for something that's fallen off from one area is going to be very, very difficult. The impacts are going to be quite devastating on the economy, absolutely in the short term, as we're all seeing, and definitely in the long term. We recently heard about the cancellation of the CNE this summer. What does it mean for Tourism Toronto and its members now that having sporting events postponed and dark theaters and attractions closed? What impact will that have? That's huge. I mean, tourism is all about experiences. And when all these major events are, are shut down and there's stay-at-home orders for people to basically, you know, shelter in place, it's a complete halt to the, to the tourism economy. So there's no leisure travel, there's no business travel, there's no gatherings of any type. And that, from an economic standpoint, is phenomenal. You know, there's projections right now that the loss for Toronto's tourism economy from direct and indirect visitor spending could reach or even exceed $5.9 billion over the next 12 to 14 months. And that, you know, that's impacting the little restaurateur, the TTC, the corner grocery store, attraction venues. So it's very, very widespread. So has a uh, projected economic impact been provided? There's studies out now using... um, in, in 2019, Tourism Toronto did a visitor economic study. It was produced by Oxford Economics. And in a typical year, that study showed that visitors to Toronto generated 
an economic impact of more than $10 billion. So based on that previous study and projecting forward, you can see that of a $10 billion economic tourism impact, basically being virtually shut down overnight. And do you think a large part of that is the closure of the U.S. border then? It's part of it absolutely is part of the U.S. border. I mean, the U.S. is by far our largest international market. But we also, Toronto generates a significant amount of business from the overseas markets. And so when you don't have people coming from China, Japan, the U.K., Germany, Mexico, Brazil, because all those borders are essentially shut down and the air, air transportation network is shut down, the effect is, is literally a global effect impacting travel globally. But it's accommodations, it's retail, it's food and beverage, it's transportation, it's attractions, it's arts, it's entertainment, it's, it's festivals, events, you know, Carabana or the Caribbean Carnival generates usually a million visitors to the destination. So do you think, are there plans in place for um, how to react to this? A lot of the thinking right now is that tourism will come back, but it's going to be a long-term gradual um, recovery, starting primarily with local, local people. First, getting local people to feel comfortable, to feel safe, to go out back to their local neighborhoods, their stores, their restaurants, their local retail shops. Predominantly, the belief is that tourism will rebound first with local people in their own city getting out and about. And then maybe going a bit further afield within their own region, like, you know, I'm in Toronto, thinking, you know, you go up to Muskoka, you go to cottage country, you go a little bit further afield. Um, certainly in terms of people getting on an airplane and flying away for the Caribbean holiday or a vacation over in Europe or vice versa, those visitors coming to visit our city and destination, that's probably more about 12 to 18 months away, just because there's People need to, you know, this virus is invisible. And so are people going to risk traveling abroad? Where can you catch it if you don't see it? Do you think then in your personal, in your uh, professional opinion, do you think we'll be able to bounce back from this? Absolutely. I do. Um, I was around, I lived through SARS and I was actually a chair of leisure uh, recovery task force affiliated with SARS. This is very different from SARS but we will bounce back. It's just gonna take a longer time frame. Um, given that, you know, individuals love to travel, they love experiences, they love to go out and learn and experience new things, as we can all see from being shuttered in place now for almost two months, people are craving to get out of their homes and just go outside and experience things. So that absolutely, I believe, will come back. I just believe the recovery will take some time um, to get back to where we were. Probably, I would, in my, in my, based on my experience, I would think two to three years before we're back full-fledged to where tourism was prior to this COVID episode. Well, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Um, is there anything you'd want the general public to think about during this time in terms of helping local businesses? You know what, when the lockdown is over and when the governments tell us to go to your parks and walk through the neighborhoods and some of the shops have started to open up, patronize your local shops and your little neighborhood stores. Because at the end of the day, that's really what makes up tourism. It's the neighborhoods, it's the locales, it's the experiences that people have. We tend to take them for granted where we live, right? We go to our local 
just go out and patronize all your local retail shops and neighborhood shops because that's what makes up tourism. People, people value those experiences. When you travel, you want to experience what the locals experience. And we need to keep those shops and those retailers alive for our own sake, where we live, and also for when visitors do start to travel. This pandemic has also impacted the sports world from the NHL, NBA, MLB, all the way to recreational sports. We interviewed Amal Chohan, executive director of the Burlington Soccer Club, to discuss how the effects of COVID-19 will affect team sports moving forward. Hi, Amal. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Happy to be here. What update are you able to give us in terms of a soccer season going forward this summer? We're currently working with our governing bodies, uh, all the other governments available to us, Ontario Health Departments, as well as the city of Burlington. Um, There's a bunch of moving pieces, but we're pretty confident that uh, based on the new phase back to business that Ontario has launched, that we fall within there, um, somewhere between phase two and three. Um, Currently, we've been allowed to move forward with small type of uh, training sessions which um, we will be planning to launch as soon as there's a date that we can and fields are available. You know, it's one thing to lose our professional sports. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, we lost the NHL, MLS, NBA, et cetera, et cetera. But what are we losing specifically when recreational sports clubs are shut down? We lose a lot for the development of kids, family environment. It's one thing to watch professional sports on TV, but then you lose the people who aren't necessarily interested unless they're showing up to a physical field. Kids uh, don't have sometimes the attention span to just sit there in front of a TV and watch the technical aspect of a professional soccer game. So for them, it's to get out there, mingle with other kids, getting their energy out there. Parents uh, and other family members get a chance to watch their, you know, their, their loved ones running around on a pitch. Um, and developing all those different motor skills, interaction with someone else, other kids, other parents, coaches. I think like in many other ways um, that kids are losing out by just staying home, um, they're losing the, the, the not, not so much a strong discipline, but the interaction of different types of discipline and different types of um, leadership skills other than just their parents. And I think, um, you know, I have two young kids too, two and four, and uh, I'm sure they're getting enough hearing from me all day, every day, what to do. Um, it was nice when their teachers or their daycare teachers or their soccer coaches were able to instruct them for a bit and teach them new things. Um, I found that uh, um, it'll be a big change, but I find that for our for a club like ours and for the youth um, and other organizations with different sports and arts and drama and all sorts of stuff, uh, the kids are really going to uh, enjoy when they can start up again. I think parents will probably, um, after the health situation is cleared out, will really start to appreciate all these extracurricular activities that their kids weren't able to take part in. To touch on what you said about change, how do you think this pandemic will affect the future of how sports are played? I know soccer is definitely a contact sport. I definitely know that some of the safety protocols are, um, we're working on even our own internal guidelines and with Ontario soccer, you know, simple things like uh, water, like water stations or Gatorade stations um, won't necessarily exist. They'll be more go back to how it was where you bring your own water bottle. You know, we're looking at probably the amount of people that can be on a bench, the amount of spectators that can be watching. Um, all this will change. And 
when is it safe to go back to normal? I don't know. I, I have a feeling like many have said that normal might be a diff there might be a different normal after this. Um, but um, I do see the effect lasting um, at least one year, potentially the next summer as well, will change how we operate on our program side of things. Um, hopefully, you know, two to three years from now, we can start seeing some um, returning back to the usual operations of the, our sport anyways. Do you think that this will affect player sign up and the club's overall ability to run leagues in the long term? I've spoken to a lot of people for this podcast series where they think that this will definitely have a large financial aspect onto their company. Definitely. Organizations like ours have um, an overhead. Um, we operate some facilities, an office, and we, we really rely on registrations. Over the last five to eight years, we've seen uh, a lot of fluctuation in registration numbers and a lot of organizations and clubs, let's say, um, have put a lot of research into following these trends. Uh, but now with this pandemic, it's almost like if you're losing one to 2% a year, we're, we're looking at budgeting potentially a 30 to 40%. Uh, we've been looking at scenarios, you know, scenario one, two, three, maybe the best scenario is less 15% registrations. The worst case is less 40% registrations. It will definitely impact the way we operate. It'll impact the quality of our program. It'll impact even what kind of program we have. If, if we're talking about 11 v 11 soccer and yeah, you know, you're looking at 18 players plus three coaching staff, it might be, you know, maybe we go down to nine v nine or seven v seven just to prevent the amount of players and, and parents and people contact. Um, I'm, but I'm hoping that um, on the reverse side, depending on how, you know, the health industry is doing with vaccines and stuff like that, I'm hoping that um, we can try and, eliminate the amount of loss or, or backwards trend that we're looking at try and control it a bit and, and encourage people to play i know next year is the euro cup it was supposed to be this year but they reschedule it normally after a euro cup or a world cup um, registrations increase in our sport anyway so hopefully that helps a bit but we'll have to see um, we know that'll be a loss and we'll, we know that we'll be it'll be taking uh, many years to try and recover the amount of financial strain this has caused on us. It's unfortunate to hear that because Burlington Soccer Club is one of the biggest clubs in Ontario. What do you think the effects of this pandemic will have on the smaller clubs that may not be able to take this hit? Uh, that's interesting. Um, I, I, I have a, a great relationship with uh, many other club managers, general managers, technical directors. Um, I've been in this industry for over 15 years. So we've been chatting quite a bit because now it's, you know, we, we lean on each other. When I talk to them, it seems that the smaller clubs who have very little overhead have uh, a better chance of working through this. But clubs with large overhead, there is a risk that we may not see them. And the concern for me with our club is that we've been fortunate with the leadership here, with our board and management and, and staffing that our reserves, uh, we've been able to operate as a governance model. So we make professional decisions and that's how we guide the club. Uh, many clubs don't have that type of resource. And uh, what could harm us is our competition in the future. Uh, right now, if we're looking at being the largest district uh, under Peel Halton and X amount of teams and clubs, with certain clubs disappearing, it'll become less competition. 
and uh, which isn't the greatest either. Um, some clubs have been around for over 50, 60 years and not being able to get through a pandemic is, you know, those clubs have history, national champions, Ontario Cup champions. It, it's, it hurts us for the soccer community, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today and best of luck for the club's future. Great. Thank you. Alongside local sports leagues, theater companies like that of the Shaw Festival at Niagara-on-the-Lake are having to adapt to a physically distanced landscape. We spoke with Kimberly Rampersad, the Associate Artistic Director at the Shaw Festival, to learn about how the pandemic and the U.S. border closure is impacting the company. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you very much for joining us today. I know it must be hectic for you right now. Oh, this is lovely. Thank you for having me, Megan. Yeah, so the Shaw Festival's 2020 season was set to start back on April 1st. How has social distancing affected the course of production and what is the festival's plan for the future as of now? Well, right now, what's happened as of uh, March 16th, we moved into uh, distance rehearsing and workplace. So everyone who was in rehearsal rooms, our rehearsal halls became virtual. Uh, Everyone who works in the organization who continue working from home was able to. And so what happened is we took our rehearsals to different platforms where we would still do scene work, we would still have uh, voice and dialect lessons, singing lessons, we would still have choreography and dance classes, and that's where uh, we were for our rehearsals. And we did that for about eight weeks. Uh, People in the organization who were able to work remotely from home, so in everything from management to box office to IT, who were able to take their work to their home places, that's what people were able to do. And so now what's happened is we have a new position at the Shaw Festival for our artists because we uh, have stopped rehearsing now as we wait for further government instruction where we have positions called education and communication outreach specialists where our artists now are being engaged in activities that support uh, education and communication of our art with all of our patrons oh that's amazing so you're still able to keep busy during this time then we are and to keep especially our artists who are very vulnerable to keep them employed if you are able to resume production what safety precautions have you have you talked about what might be put in place for example if there were concerns about um audience member proximity absolutely so what's happening now is led by um one of our management heads chuck he is creating all kinds of programs and different ways for us to be able to engage our audience safely. Uh, fortunately, our government will give us uh, the parameters within to work. So it's not that we'll have to create them on our own, but led by Chuck and the rest of uh, his team, they're creating all kinds of different uh, templates and scenarios in which we can engage with our audience uh, safely. So there, I mean, there are so many different ways right now and we're still waiting, but the, he's very ahead of trying to decipher and gathering information and uh, all of the sort of infrastructure that he and the front of house and facilities needs to engage in to create a safe space for people to gather again. Mm -hmm. And that's something I definitely wanted to touch on is have you been receiving support from both the government and your community in general? Yes. So the community, especially our audience, has been incredibly gracious and kind and uh, 
you couldn't ask for sort of a better response from the community than the one that we're getting in terms of um, just their understanding of what it is that we're trying to do and our uh, commitment to keeping them safe. And as well from the government, we've been getting a lot of support because they know that the Shaw Festival, especially in this area, is such a driver of the economy. And knowing that we're closed right now and sort of the effect that it has on the greater community, they are very invested and concerned with making sure that we can open as quickly and as safely as possible so that the safety has to be the most important thing that we worry about, but also knowing that the sooner that we are able to uh, come back up successfully with the safety of everyone in mind, uh, the more we will be able to kickstart the economy and more importantly, the more we'll be able to create our art and be uh, an important part of the community's life. Definitely. I, I see that uh, in the 2019 season alone, the Shaw Festival saw over 267,000 people in attendance. Uh, that's definitely a lot of business for the Niagara area. Do you think that even losing a part of the season, will this be felt by the Niagara community? I would say that it is right now because I live out here, because I, I am in town all the time. You can see that it's different. And and. and the ripple effect of it, you know what I mean? Because when people come to the theater in particular, they love to spend time out in this greater community. So a lot of the time, because people commute to come into Niagara-on-the-Lake, especially a lot of them, they end up, you know, staying here for a couple of nights, you know, being able to go to a restaurant, being able to go to a nice tour or a vineyard or a winery close by, all of those different things, being able to go to the shops and get a delicious gelato or whatever it is that the people are interested in. There are so many different things that people do as a part of their Shaw experience. So I think that from my point of view, certainly just being in town, being a part of the community, I can see the effects. Mm -hmm. Another part of that is related to the U.S. border closure. Do Do you get a lot of business over the border? We do. So the Shaw Festival is actually a binational company. Mm-hmm. We are a charity in both uh, the, in the United States and in Canada, and we were founded that way. So we really do have a great connection with our American audience, and we have a lot of American patrons that come up. So we absolutely do feel that, and we also know that we have to try and really stay connected to that audience because if the borders don't open at the same time as we're allowed to uh, invite our patrons back to the theater, we know that we'll have to do that extra step to make sure that we stay connected to our audience that can't access us physically. Mm-hmm. And and more on the art sides of things, do you think that the absence of this medium of the arts will have an effect on people and society in general? Yes, but it's interesting because we see that it has an effect right now, the way that people are gravitating to it in different forms Mm -hmm. in isolation, so that you can see that this massive desire that people have to gather together, not just for theater, but just in general, this intrinsic need to gather together um, amplifies what it is that theater is two people this gathering space together but we also see how people are really turning to art um, as a point of entertainment of solace of comfort of entertainment and escapism as people go to books as people find art through film and television and you would even say through social media platforms that people are getting to experience other stories 
even as simple as they might be through other platforms, um, I think it really amplifies what art is and how practical art is and how it comes in so many different forms that it doesn't have to be um, something highbrow in order to be art and meaningful. Yes, that's very interesting because it may garner more of a respect for the arts than coming out of this quarantine. I think so. I think so because it just you just realize how practical it is that it's not just something it's not just an extracurricular activity that in the end it's that connective uh, sort of magic that keeps us all together as humans. More on the economic side now, do you think that the loss of the beginning of your season and that loss of revenue will it have any long-lasting effects on the company? I think it will. I, I couldn't say what it is yet because we're so in the muck of it still. Mm-hmm. I know that we also, though, we have an incredible uh, patron base and board and we have such intelligent um, employees here who are so savvy, especially with finances, that we'll find our way out of it. But there is something that we all need to come out from. And I wouldn't want to downplay it that it really, this is really um, an obstacle for us. Mm-hmm. I, I must say, uh, on a personal level, Level. My grandparents uh, from Scotland, every time they're in Canada, something they make sure to do is visit Shaw Festival and spend a couple nights at Niagara-on-the-Lake. So there's definitely that international love for this organization. If people so choose to, um, how can Lovers of the Arts support the festival at this time? Well, if you go to our website, you will see that we have a new landing page for all of our virtual activities. So when you go to the website, click on it, and it's shot at the home front, and you will see that we have um, an offering, an outpouring of all kinds of articulation of our art to people everywhere right now. So we have everything from interviews with our interns, with directors and designers. We have uh, cabarets that we're putting on every couple of weeks on YouTube, live cabarets with all of our ensemble members that everyone, and we've had people from around the world that have tuned in for just a delightful hour of getting to hang out with us in our homes as we do songs and dances and poems and are silly and do our stand-up acts for people so that they can be a part of it Uh, we have all kinds of those different things you can catch us on you know our instagram channel on all these different things where we're trying to offer different sort of articulations of our art for you well thank you that's amazing and i appreciate you speaking with us today kimberly and uh, i know we all hope for a quick recovery for the organization thanks so much everyone be safe and be healthy After hearing from some of these businesses that are working to adapt to their new surroundings, we spoke with Professor Jim Davies, who teaches public economics at Western University. Professor Davies explains the financial impacts of this pandemic. The people who did not lose their jobs, who are still working during the pandemic, uh, from an income point of view, are high and dry. And of course, the people who are most severely affected are, are the ones who didn't keep their jobs. And they tend to be lower wage occupations throughout the service sector, thinking of retail, uh, hotels and restaurants. You know, there's a whole range of uh, occupations there that have been, uh, where the workers have been badly affected. And they are uh, the lower paid workers. So there is a distributional issue there. Many of our listeners are students or are beginning their careers right now. A major concern that they have been asking about is CERB. 
if they have applied for either CERB or EI or perhaps the new student benefit, how may this affect their taxes in the long run? Well, I guess there, there are two different groups of uh, students. Ones who are graduating and who would normally have been looking for a job, and then others who are in midstream in their studies. The impact on your taxes depends on how much other income you have over the course of the year, because these emergency payments uh, are taxable income. If you don't have a summer job and you're receiving the uh, you know assistance from the federal government over the summer, then likely uh, that's not going to result in uh, much of an income tax burden next year. Something that people should be careful about is try to make sure that uh, they are actually eligible for the assistance. They've been giving it out uh, quite freely because it's just impossible to do all the checking that needs to be done. But uh, they will be checking over the course of, you know, say, the next year. And if uh, people have received money that they weren't really eligible for, they will, they will have to pay it back. I know that there's a concern surrounding um, many small businesses and their ability to bounce back from this. But from speaking with local businesses, I've also heard that larger businesses are worried that because they have more overhead expenses, they believe they'll be hit the hardest. Um, who's right in this case? Yeah, business is a very heterogeneous world, right? Like uh, individual workers are uh, not so different, but you know businesses differ in their size and in the uh, resources that uh, they use. Some have big investments in facilities and equipment. In, in part, those investments uh, have been financed through borrowing. So if you're a large business and you've got a lot of debt, then you've got a big problem. If you're, say, a family-owned business that doesn't have very much debt, uh, then you would even, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are, then you would ride this whole thing out more easily. So there are definitely going to be bankruptcies, and there have been already, and uh, that's a feature of any serious recession, and uh, this is a, the biggest recession that we've had since the Great Depression. Do you think the Canadian government has reacted correctly to the pandemic financially? Do you think they should have done more or less? No, I think their performance has been very good. There is an absolutely huge amount of money that uh, has been spent. We can, we can see that uh, Canada is doing better than you know, some other places. Look at the pictures of people lined up to get free food because their income maintenance system hasn't worked anywhere near as well as ours has, and our benefits are more generous and they were available immediately. So, so we've done much better. There, there are difficult issues about how to help businesses. Things have been done to help. Interest rates are, are being held very low, and there is some assistance. That's a, there's a whole difficult set of issues there about how much assistance you should give to try and tide businesses over, and to what extent do they have to you know, make adjustments that uh, the government really can't help out with. And lastly, for Canadians who may not have any financial wiggle room at this time, um, do you have any suggestions on how they can reduce costs and reduce spending? In normal times, we typically, you know, spend a fair amount that's optional. You know, we can return to basics and uh, make all our meals at home, not do any unnecessary spending. Life isn't going to be easy for people whose only source of income is, say, emergency benefits. But, uh, you know, if we budget carefully and avoid unnecessary spending, uh, I think most people will be able to get through. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Jim Davies. We appreciate your insight. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. 
As Canadian provinces begin entering the second phase of relaunching the economy during this pandemic, we want to encourage Canadians to support your local businesses, which will in turn support your local economy. Make sure to tune into Monday's episode where we will be checking in with our friends and family and learning about maintaining good mental health from the Canadian Mental Health Association. Thanks for listening.